you may or may not be aware that every weekend as we gather here in this building to worship the Lord, over in the other building there is a preschool area where they are pouring into the lives of really young children. And then there's a kind of first through sixth grade area where they have every weekend a worship service just for children going on over in the other building. And about three or four weeks ago in that worship expression that's taking place for boys and girls over there, they decided as the Hope for Kids leadership team that they were going to receive an offering. And that offering was for something very specific. They had shared with the kids there in Hope for Kids about the opportunity through an organization called Compassion International to adopt a child in another part of the world and become their sponsor and begin to provide basic necessities, clean water, vitamins, minerals, food, educational materials. They could provide through a small gift every month. They could give to support one of those children. So they shared that. Praise God. Amen. They shared that with the, the, the group of kids there and asked them to pray and, and, and come and give an offering. And there was a little girl there that day who was so moved by the opportunity to give, she didn't have any money. And so the offering time came and she wanted so badly to participate that she reached up and pulled off her two earrings. Isn't that awesome? And she went and she said, I want to be involved. And she gave those two earrings to engage in what God's in. Now, <clears throat> I share that with you for a reason. Here's why. Wherever you see God's grace at work, you always see radical expressions of generosity. When God is moving among a people, when God is pouring out his spirit, when his grace is moving in the lives of a fellowship, you'll always see expressions of radical generosity. We looked last weekend at one of those radical expressions of generosity. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 Paul takes us into the lives of a group of people in a region called Macedonia. It was predominantly the church at Philippi, but there was a, a little community there, a region called Macedonia, had two or three communities. The largest of those would have been Philippi. And he shares with us about the radical generosity that these people demonstrated. And we looked at several principles last weekend from this example that Paul shared with us, this story that Paul was telling us. And I just want to remind you just for the sake of where we're going this weekend of those five principles. I'm going to put them up on the screen. Their giving was a response to God's grace. It was worship. It was from the heart. Number two, their giving was an act of faith. If you and I are going to live out this principle of generosity, it requires deep faith and confidence in God because on paper it doesn't make sense the way God lays out his economy, but by faith it makes perfect sense. Number three, their giving was to share in God's global purpose. They begged Paul for the opportunity to get involved in what God was doing outside of their region through the vehicle of giving. Number four, their giving was considered radical by others. When you begin to live out this way, 
believers and non-believers will think you've lost your mind because you're living so generously. And the fifth and final characteristic, their giving was a reflection of Jesus. It was a reflection of who Jesus is in and through them. So last weekend, we unpacked those five principles out of this example. You say, why are you rehashing that? Here's why. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 go together. And you really can't understand one part without understanding both parts. In chapter 8, Paul gives us a description of what radical generosity looks like. If you were to just sit down and read this letter and go straight through from chapter 8 through to chapter 9 and read it without stopping, you'll see this transition. Chapter 8, Paul is giving a great description of what it looked like in one church for them to live out this way. Then in chapter 9, Paul begins a prescriptive text where he is encouraging the Christians in Corinth to follow the example of the Christians in Macedonia. And he is encouraging them and now commanding and and exhorting them to follow in that example. So this weekend, we're looking at the second half of that. Last weekend was the example, the description. This weekend is Paul prescribing some truths for the church at Corinth and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God for us today living in Las Vegas in 2014. Now, I said that to say this. If you weren't here last weekend, let me encourage you. You can go online to our website. Watch last weekend's message because it is the context for everything that we want to say today. But we're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I want to read verses 6 through the end of the chapter. And here's what Paul says. Now, this I say. You kind of hear the transition there, right? He'd been giving them this example. Now he says, now now here's what I want to say to you. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a, say it out loud, cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything or all things, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service, he's talking about the offering there, the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you. 
because of the surpassing grace of God in you. And then Paul, to close the chapter, just kind of has this explosion of a moment. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So you hear, if you were here last weekend, you hear the transition. Paul was describing the way these people had given so generously and so radically. But now Paul begins to speak directly to the people that he's writing to in his audience, which includes us today because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And he begins to speak to the very issue of how we, following their example in Philippi, should live generously today. So I want to ask and answer two questions this morning, and we'll bring this little two-week series to a close. Here's the first question. How are we to give? How are we to give? Paul talks about that here as he begins to write to this church, and he really uses two defining words that really uh, capture the heart of Christian giving. Everything that we understand about generosity and giving as Christians can really be summarized with two words. The first word is the word generously. We should give generously. Did you hear what Paul uses here in these verses? Listen to some of the words he uses. He uses the word bountifully He in verse 6. In verse 8, he uses the word abundantly. In verse 11, he uses the word with liberality. All of these words are words that can be translated generously. They they carry the idea of giving more than enough to exceed what is expected. They all communicate the biblical principle of generosity. Now, the word generosity is used throughout the Bible. It's used both in the Old and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we find this word in the Hebrew language. In the New Testament, we find it in the Greek language. And as you study the words that are used to communicate generosity in both the Old and New Testaments, there's some beautiful word pictures that are associated with these words that help us understand the principle of generosity. And I want to give them to you real quick. First of all, in the Old Testament Hebrew text, there are three different word pictures that communicate the idea of generosity. One of the words that's used in the Old Testament to communicate generosity is a word in Hebrew that literally means to saturate with water. I want you to get in your mind the picture of a towel that's been dropped into a swimming pool. And when you go to take that towel out of the swimming pool, the water is just pouring off of that towel, right? Why? Because it's been saturated with water. One of the Old Testament Hebrew words for generosity is a word that literally means to be saturated with water. Another Old Testament Hebrew word that's used is a word that literally means to fill, to overflow. It's the idea of me taking a glass and putting that glass right here on the table and then taking a pitcher of water and begin to pour it into that glass. And as I pour the water into the glass, when the water begins to rise all the way to the top, instead of stopping when you get to the top, you just keep pouring. Well, what's going to happen? The water is going to spill over the glass. It's going to spill over the table. It's going to go onto the floor. It's going to spill off the stage. Why? Because we're filling it. To overflow. That's another word picture associated with the biblical principle of generosity. To saturate with water, to fill, to overflow. There's a third one in Hebrew. And it's a Hebrew word that means to drink to one's fill. 
It's the picture of somebody who is parched. They maybe have been outside, maybe they've been exercising, whatever it is, and they are in such need of water, and they get water, and they drink it, and they drink it, and they drink it until they are completely satisfied. They've drunk all of the water that they need to satisfy themselves. So think about the word generosity in the Old Testament, to saturate with water, to fill, to overflow, to drink to one's feel. All of those words are used in the Old Testament to picture generosity. In the New Testament, we have a couple of other word pictures. One of them in the New Testament, it's used in 1 Timothy, is the idea of a readiness to distribute. It's the word picture of, of living on the lookout. It's the idea of somebody with a pair of binoculars and they are just on the lookout. They are, they, they, they cannot wait for an opportunity. They are looking for an opportunity to be generous. The fifth and final word picture is one that if you've been at hope for any length of time at all, you've heard me use this word picture before because I always make you do something when I do this, right? Some of you are already doing it. You already remember. The fifth and final word picture is the Greek word for generosity that literally means on your fingertips. I want you to take your hands and hold them out like this. I want everybody in the room to wiggle your fingertips, all right? Just do it like this for just a minute. Here's the biblical principle of generosity. I'm living with everything I have on my fingertips, holding it loosely. All right, you got it? Look at your neighbor. Look how silly they look, right? All right, you can put them down. Now, here's what I want you to do. We're going to take all those word pictures and we're going to kind of put them together. Because in our culture today, we're not really raised, taught to live like this. In our culture today, we kind of live like this, right? We grow up under the philosophy, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid and poison the rest, right? That's kind of how we are, are raised. You hang on to what's yours, you watch out for you. But if you take these word pictures and you put them together, here's what Paul is saying with these words, bountifully, abundantly, with liberality. Paul is saying you and I are to live with everything we have, understanding that everything we have is a gift of God. Everything we have is by His grace. None of it is because of anything that we've done. All of it is because of everything that He's done. We live with everything we have, recognizing it doesn't belong to me. It all belongs to Him. So I'm holding it on my fingertips loosely, and I'm living on the lookout, and I am ready to saturate. I'm ready to fill, to overflow. I'm ready to satisfy somebody else's life. I'm looking for an opportunity to allow Christ in me to spill into the lives of other people. That is the biblical principle of generosity. And here's what I want you to understand today. Here's what Paul is saying. Generosity is a defining characteristic in the life of a Jesus follower. Listen to what Warren Wearsby said about this. Look at it on the screen. Giving is not something we do, but something we are. Think about it. Giving is not something we do, something we are. Generosity 
is a way of life for the Christian who understands the grace of God. Some people have the idea that giving is this spiritual gift that is reserved for a few people in the body of Christ. Now, there is, don't misunderstand me, there is a spiritual gift the Bible teaches us about in the book of 1 Corinthians, the book of Romans, that, that does relate to giving. There are some people in the body of Christ who have an unusual ability, a grace gift of the Holy Spirit of God to live generously. But what Paul is saying here is that generosity and giving is not just reserved for a few, but that generosity and giving is a defining mark of every Christ follower. And here's why that's true. Nobody is more generous than Jesus. Now, what have we said over and over again here at Hope? Christianity is not me trying to live for Jesus, right? Christianity is me allowing Jesus to live his life in and through me out of the overflow of our relationship to him. So to the degree that I'm allowing Christ to live in and through me, his very life will be manifested in my life. And let me tell you what he is. He is generous. Generosity is an issue of Christ-likeness. How many of you know the name C.S. Lewis? You've heard the name C.S. Lewis before. A lot of people know C.S. Lewis. What's he most famous for writing? What's the, what, what do you know? Right? Chronicles of Narnia. Somebody maybe says mere Christianity. What a lot of people don't know is C.S. Lewis grew up in the Church of England, but then became uh, disillusioned with faith and became an atheist. He, he did not believe. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis was angry that God didn't exist. He wasn't just an atheist. He was an angry atheist. He was, he, he was an atheist, but he didn't like being an atheist. He just was mad that God didn't exist. And in college, he became great friends with another man that you may know the name of, a man by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. J.R.R. Tolkien was a devout believer, and J.R.R. Tolkien began to challenge C.S. Lewis about faith and God and the person of Jesus Christ. And it was that journey with J.R.R. Tolkien that led C.S. Lewis to become a radical follower of Jesus Christ. Out of that, he wrote the book, Mere Christianity, which anytime I meet somebody that claims not to believe in God, an atheist or an agnostic, I always try to encourage them to read Mere Christianity because of the view that C.S. Lewis had and what God used to bring him to faith in Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis became a radical radically generous person because of the grace of God in his life. I want you to listen. Stephen Olford, in his book, The Grace of Giving, writes what C.S. Lewis said about generosity. And I want you to look at it on the screen. C.S. Lewis didn't talk about percentage giving. He said the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Our charities should pinch and hamper us. If we live at the same level of affluence as other people who have our level of income, we are probably giving away too little. C.S. Lewis. One of the words that defines our perspective towards giving is the word generously. 
There's a second word. It's the word joyfully. Over and over and over again, Paul uses words to communicate this idea of generosity. But in verse 7, he says God loves a cheerful giver. It's interesting in verse 7, he tells us in every church there are three types of givers. In every church. Now, the reality is all three of these exist in our church here today. You're in the Bible, all right? You're in the Bible. I hope you're in the right category this morning. But Paul tells us there are three types of givers in every church. First of all, look at verse 7. He says, each must do just as he's purposed in his heart. First of all, not grudgingly. The word grudgingly is a word that means out of grief or sorrow. The first type of giver in every church is what's called a sad giver. They give, but they're not happy about it. It's out of grief and sorrow because I'm thinking of all the things that I could do better with that money than give it away. When the offering time comes into service, it just quenches my spirit. Oh, God, here it is. That's the word grudgingly. It's literally out of grief or sorrow. It hurts. Sad giver. Secondly, he says, or under compulsion. The word compulsion is a word that means it's literally out of necessity or obligation. These are not sad givers. They're mad givers. They feel like we have to. There's a sense of duty and obligation that goes along with it. I'm giving, but I'm not happy about it. I worked hard for this. It's literally the picture of of having to squeeze it out of them. I don't know how it is in your household. My my wife is, is extremely frugal. And so when it comes to things like toothpaste in our home, like, you know, you kind of get two-thirds of the way with a tube of toothpaste. It's just more work than it is. You just throw it away and get another one, right? But no, 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 not, not my wife. We, we, we have that little thing that you slide on the tube, right? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. See, some of you just as wicked. Slide that thing on the tube, and every day or so, you got to turn it up one more and you, because you got to get every last ounce of that toothpaste out of that tube. That's a mad giver. You got to squeeze it out of them. There's some in every church. Sad givers, mad givers. But then he says, God loves a cheerful giver. You know what that is, right? That's a glad giver. The word cheerful is a word that literally, it's the Greek word hilaros. We get an English word from it. Hilarious. It's a word that means out of joy or gladness of heart. It is, according to Stephen Olford, a spirit of real enjoyment that sweeps away all human restraint. Paul is describing a believer who is so full of joy over the grace of God in his own life that he joyfully and generously gives that others may experience the grace of God in their life. And he says, this is important. 
That's the only kind of giving God loves. The word love here is the Greek word <coughs> agapeo. This kind of love is finding one's joy in something as an act of the will. I wrote down a statement this week I want to put up on the screen <coughs> because it captures the heart of what Paul's saying here. Here's what I wrote down. God finds joy in me when I find joy in Him through giving. God finds joy in me when I find joy in Him through giving. Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. Now, we believe this so strongly here at Hope. I want to say something to you this morning that you may never hear another pastor say. So listen carefully. If you give. For any reason other than a heart full of joy in response to the difference Jesus has made in your life, please don't give. If you give for any other reason, don't give. We don't have to give out of grief. We don't have to give out of compulsion. Listen, you need to come to the place where you've been so moved by what Jesus has done in your life. And you are so full of joy and wanting to see Jesus do that in somebody else's life that you just respond and surrender and worship God through the vehicle of giving. That's the kind of giving. So I want you to hear those two words, generously, joyfully. Those two words define Christian giving. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take those two words and apply them to your life. I want you to use them as a, a measuring stick for you. You give generously. You give joyfully. That's what Paul wants us to get. He gave us the example last week. This is important. And now he gives us the heart of what it's supposed to look like, how we're supposed to do it, and he never mentions an amount. Both of these things speak to the heart. Generously, joyfully. But you know what that's going to mean, right? That's going to mean a different amount for everybody. Hey, we had a little girl over here three weeks ago drop two earrings in the offering basket. Let me tell you what that was. Generosity and joy. It's not about an amount of money. Does that characterize the way that you approach stewardship? Well, let's ask and answer the second question. I'm going to be finished this morning. How are we to give? Here's the second question. Why are we to give? Paul answers the how with verses 6 and 7. 
But then he begins through the rest of this chapter to answer the why question. And what I want to do, because we're not probably going to be able to dig into all of these things, I want to give you all of them up front so that you can see them. I'm going to put them all up on the screen here at the beginning. Here's the answer to the question why I should give. Number one, when I give, I'm getting in on God's blessings. Number two, when I give, I'm getting in on changing lives. Number three, when I give, I'm getting in on deeper fellowship with God. Number four, when I give, I'm getting in on God being worshipped. And number five, when I give, I'm getting in on believers being encouraged and challenged. Now, I want you to look at that list. Just, just keep this up here on the screen for a second. How many of you would like God's blessings in your life? Let me see your hand. I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? I mean, I think we all go, yep, I- I'll sign up for that. Uh, look at the next one. How many of you want to get in on God changing lives in our city and around the world? Let me see your hand. I mean, we want to be a part of God moving and seeing lives change for the glory. How many of you want to get in? How many of you this morning would say, hey, I'd like to go deeper in my relationship with God? Let me see your hand. I mean, that's why you're here today. You're not here because I'm good. I don't want to go into you. You're here because you hunger to go deeper in your love relationship with God. How many of you today want to get in on God being worshipped? You want to see God magnified and uplifted? How many of you want to get in on believers, other Christians, both locally and globally, being encouraged and challenged in their walk with God? How many of you would say, hey, I want in on that? Let me see your hand. Listen, the way in is generosity. Every one of those things, and I'm I'm about to unpack as many as time will allow, but every one of those things in the next few verses, Paul says, when you give, this is what God is inviting you to get in on. Now, we don't give to get. We give in response to the grace of God in our life, surrendering to Him. But here's how God's economy works. When we give, He allows us to get in on something that is so much bigger than us. So let's look at a few of these. Number one, when I give, I'm getting in on God's Blessings. Now, we could spend the rest of this morning, <coughs> next morning, and the week after talking about all of the blessings that the New Testament teaches us that we invite into our lives through the vehicle of giving, but we're going to limit this morning our conversation to simply the two that Paul mentions right here in these verses. Number one, giving brings joy. When we give, we invite the joy of God into our lives. I mean, Paul teaches that by the example that he gave. Remember last weekend we talked about these people that had deep poverty and great affliction, and yet they had what? An abundance of only one thing. Remember what it was? Joy. The only thing they had going for them was joy. They were so full of joy, and the joy of the Lord was theirs because of their spirit of generosity. Paul, in the book of Acts, quotes Jesus, and listen to what he said. 
He said, remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said. Now read it with me out loud. It is more what? Blessed to give than to receive. The word blessed is a word that means the state of being marked by the fullness of God. It is abiding joy. Paul quotes Jesus. Jesus said, you want in on joy? The most joyful thing you can do is not receive something. Jesus said the most joyful thing you can do is give something. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We get in on God's joy. Don't you want joy? We try so many things chasing joy. We think in our culture in America that money brings joy. So we'll try to go accumulate a certain amount of money. And you know what you find? Every, every time you turn one corner, you realize, you know what? I think it's the next corner where the joy is. You get to one level of income and you think, no, if I could just get here, then it'd really be there. And then you get there and guess what? That cup's got a hole in the bottom of it. We think it's in relationships. We think it's in pleasure. Here's what Jesus said. It's in giving. Giving invites God's joy. Into our lives. But not only does it invite the blessing of joy, giving brings peace and provision into our lives. You see, when you and I give, then we can trust God to take care of us. Look at verse 8. I want to put verse 8 back up on the screen. Listen to what it says. Paul says, And God is, say the next word out loud. That's a good place to say amen. Amen. Hey, what are you facing today? I got good news for you. God's able. I hear people say sometimes, you know, well, preacher, I'm glad the Bible says God won't put more on me than I can bear. I got bad news for you. That's not in the Bible. But let me tell you what is in the Bible. He won't put more on you than he can bear. And he is what? Able. Whatever you're facing today, God's able. He is able today. And I love the way Paul said this. It's literally in the present active tense, meaning you could translate it literally like this. And God is continuously able. Meaning there's never a single solitary moment when he is not able. God is able. Look what it says. To make all grace. Listen to the way Paul keeps repeating this idea of all. God is continuously able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything or all things, you may have an abundance for every good deed. If you took all of that and translated it just in the most rudimentary fashion, here's what that phrase could be translated as. In everything, always enough. God is continuously able so that in everything, you always have enough. Paul says when we begin to live generously, 
and joyfully. We have the promise of God's provision. Now, now listen very carefully, okay? I want you to lean in and listen carefully because you get a lot of garbage on television when it comes to this subject. I'm just going to be honest with you. You get a lot of false teaching on television when it comes to this subject. This is not, this is not a promise that followers of Jesus Christ are going to be wealthy. The people that are selling their books and their wares, getting rich off of that philosophy, are one day going to have to stand face to face with Jesus, whom the Bible said of him had nowhere to lay his head. This is not a promise of affluence or prosperity. Let me tell you what it is a promise of. In everything, always enough. The end game is not about my prosperity. The end game is about God's glory. And if I am so consumed with my prosperity, I've missed the very essence of what Paul is writing about. It's about the glory of God. This is not a promise that followers of Jesus are going to be wealthy. But it is a promise that when I live generously out of the overflow of my heart, filled with joy, I can trust God with everything in my life. And listen, that's not just a promise Paul made one time. He made it again to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. Look at this verse on the screen. Paul said, my God will supply all your, said out loud, That's an important word. You see, we've confused that with wants. This isn't a blank check. My God, Paul says, will supply all your, say it again, needs. See how that's consistent in everything, always enough? My God will supply all your needs, but listen to this. According to what? That's good. Amen. He didn't say according to my riches. According to his riches. And then he piles it on a little bit more with some more prepositions. In glory. You read the end of the book, right? You know what's in glory, right? In Christ Jesus. My God is able to supply every need that you have according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We can trust him. It's the same thing Jesus said in Matthew 6.33 when Jesus said this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. Things will be added to you. Now, if you read the entirety of Matthew 6, he's talking about food, clothing, and shelter, the necessities of life. Jesus said, if you live generously and joyfully, don't worry, I got the rest. Here's the principle. You cannot outgive God. As a matter of fact, it's the only place in the Bible where he said, Just test me and see. You don't believe it? Read Malachi chapter 3. We're not going to go there today. But in Malachi chapter 3, he promised the children of Israel. He said, listen, if you don't believe me in this, you just go ahead and test me. And see if I won't open for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing into your life. You will always have enough if you'll live this principle. And here's the principle. When we begin to live like this, 
Money problems aren't my problem. They're his problem. You see, now I have all the confidence in the world to go into the presence of God when I got bills I can't pay and say, Lord, you got bills we can't pay. (laughs) That's what he said. Now, I'm not talking about bills where I go out and live extravagantly beyond my means and accumulate debt. God's not obligated to dig me out of my own mess. But he is faithful to his promise that if I will live generously and joyfully, he will always give me enough in every situation in my life. I can trust him. I told you the story last weekend about my dad coming over with my wife and I and sitting down and teaching us these principles of giving and stewardship. And we had just been married uh, about three months. We'd gotten pregnant three months in. And my dad came over and sat down and told us this, uh, taught us these principles like I taught you last weekend about always a portion, sometimes a sacrifice. And my wife and I prayed and we decided together we were going to start living this out. And we carved out for us, the starting place was 10%. We carved out 10% of our income and said, we're going to start giving that. And we weren't three weeks, four weeks into this. And she was pregnant and was having some heart (laughs) irregularities. And they hooked her up to a 24-hour heart monitor. Everything turned out to be okay. And they gave us the bill. And I'll never forget the bill was $632. Now, you got to understand, we were in college. We'd just been married three months. $632 was almost, it was just under one month's salary that I was making at the time. That bill might have said a million dollars. Savings was something we were praying about. We didn't have any at that time. We, we'd not moved into this thing very wisely. Living week to week. We get a bill, month's income. Three weeks earlier, we'd started living out this 10% principle. And already, here's a bill we can't pay. I'll never forget my wife and I sitting down in that little married student housing apartment, about 600 square feet, just saying, Lord, we're doing what you said. It's yours. About four days later, I went to the mailbox and pulled out a tax return check in the mailbox, 634 dollars gave us two dollars to go to mcdonald's on to celebrate right (laughs) let me tell you what that taught my wife and i i was 20 she was 19 we're three months into marriage pregnant just establishing this principle as a priority of our home we didn't have anything let me tell you what god told us you trust me you honor me i'll take care of the rest We've been married 22 years. 22 years we've lived out that principle. Listen, we're, we're as a family now, we started with a 10% principle. And I'm not telling you this to put myself on a pedestal. I'm just telling I want you to hear that I'm not talking to you about theory. I'm talking to you about something that for 22 years my family's been fleshing this out. 10% for us was like training wheels. You use that to get started. When you, don't, when you learn how to ride the bike, you don't need training wheels anymore. You take them off. We hadn't had a 10% conversation in our home in a long time. Because we've been living way past that. 22 years in. Let me tell you what I know. In everything, always enough. Always enough. When we give, we invite the blessing of God into 
our lives. Listen to what Stephen Olford said. He said the miracle of giving is that it produces a ministry of giving. When God can trust his people with money, he sees to it that they always have plenty for themselves and more for others. Does God see you as a conduit, a channel of his blessing into the lives of others? Listen, when God begins to see you that way, just hang on. Just hang on. Well, let me unpack a second one for you. We've got to wrap up. When I give, I'm getting in on changing lives. Verse 12, look what Paul says. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Paul says this ministry, this, this offering that you're taking up, he's writing to them. He says it's doing two things. It's, it's changing people's lives, first of all, physically. He says you're fully supplying the needs of the saints. Did you know that every week as you give here at Hope, you're meeting physical needs in the city of Las Vegas? Every week as you give. We have a ministry that's run by volunteers in our church. We call it our benevolence ministry where people come in and we, we help people with food or light bills or all, all the necessities that come up in life. As you give every week, we help people that way here at Hope. We have ministries that have been born out of our church that help people physically in our city. Ministries like Raised Arm Ministry that is ministering to refugees in the inner city, helping them go through the process of paperwork and driver's license and all that kind of meeting those physical needs. That's born right out of our fellowship. It happens because you give. We have ministries like Highway to Hope that's ministering to homeless people in the city, providing basic necessities in life. It happens because you give. We have a ministry in our church called Broken Chains. Broken Chains is led by Cody and Heather Huff. God, God saved Cody off the streets of Las Vegas. He used to live homeless. God's redeemed him. God's changed him. God's called him into ministry. God's equipped him and gifted him. Cody and Broken Chains, Cody and Heather with Broken Chains, entered into a, a partnership with, with schools here in Clark County. In the February and March edition, listen to this. In the February and March edition of the National PTA Magazine, the National PTA Magazine. I want you to look at the picture on the screen. In the National PTA Magazine that's all over the country, there's an article describing down here in the bottom right-hand corner is a picture of Cody and Heather and some volunteers in the ministry, an article describing this thing called Two Lunch Tuesday where they've encouraged kids in public elementary schools to bring an extra lunch on Tuesday. Cody and Heather and their team pick it up and distribute it to homeless people all over the city. There are now, I think, seven or eight schools involved. A thousand lunches a month are being distributed all over the city of Las Vegas, and that happens because you give. We're meeting physical needs right here in our own city. That's what Paul said. The ministry is fully supplying the needs of the saints. But then look what he said. And is overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. You see, it's not just touching lives physically because, listen to me, you can put food in a man's stomach and he'll still be lost. Every ministry opportunity to meet a physical need opens the door to a conversation about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We get to see lives change. Did you know that in our services, just since Christmas, just since Christmas, we've seen over 100 people trust Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior right here in our services, just since Christmas. We just had a team. We just had a team come back from Central America 
I want to put that picture up on the screen. We had a team come back from Central America. All these pastors and their families that you see here intermingled with our people from hope. Let me tell you why this team was down there. We sent a team of business leaders down there. They are helping these men and women establish sustainable business models so their ministries are not solely dependent on outside support. One of the greatest limiters to movements of God in other countries is they become so dependent on outside support that they can't focus on the ministry because they're always looking back to supporters to raise support and keep people engaged and involved. We believe one of the ways God's gift at our church is to come alongside of national ministries and partners and give them sustainable business models. They're down there teaching them how to start some businesses so that they can become self-sustained ministries that are able to reproduce and multiply the church throughout Central America. How did that happen? Let me tell you how it happened. Because you gave. Because you gave. We get to invest in lives being changed. We don't just take an offering to make sure we got lights and sound. We get to invest in lives being changed for the glory and honor of God. We get in on deeper fellowship with God. Paul in verse 13 says, because of the proof given. That word proof is describing a tangible expression of spiritual growth. As we give, we get to see God at work in our lives and I'll be honest, nothing will stretch your faith and deepen your walk with Jesus like Him growing you in your walk with Him or in, your, in, your, in the arena of giving. My wife and I, from where we started 22 years ago and where we are today, God's done so much. God's done so much. Let me, let me tell you this story, and I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll wrap up with this one, all right? My... Because this, this is from my small group this week. My small group this week, and our small group, we were talking about this idea of generosity and giving. And my wife spoke up, and she shared a story I'd completely forgotten about. And she shared it because when my wife and I got married, and this is typical in a lot of marriages, um, because of some things my dad had taught me when, when, when he came over and had that conversation with us, it was really easy for me to begin to live out this principle. My wife had not grown up in that environment of generosity and stewardship, and so... Where I was really quick to jump on this, she was not really quick to jump on this, but, but she yielded nonetheless to what she saw God saying in his word, but it was more of a struggle for her. And we all have those things at home. There are some things in our home where my wife is readily, easily engaged, and God has to kind of grow me along. This particular issue is one where it was the reverse, where I was ready, and, and she was having to kind of grow along in that, and we began to see God do some things, and that helped but it was, we were pastoring, I was pastoring my first church in a little town in Tennessee, 4,000 people in the town. God had exploded our church. We were running almost 800 people in, the town, in our church in a town of 4,000. So like almost a fourth of the town was coming to the church. God was moving. People were being saved. We literally had one season where people would drive up on the parking lot, come into our church and say, we want to give our lives to Jesus. They'd just drive on the parking lot, fall into conviction, and people were being saved. In the middle of all that, we needed to, to take up an offering to do some expansion there at our church, and God put it on our hearts, or God put it on my heart, that uh, I wanted to sell my car. Now, at that time, I was driving 80 miles one way, four days a week, round trip, back and forth to seminary. And uh, I was in pastoring and going to seminary at the same time, and God put it on my heart to, to sell my car. And I went to my wife and said, Babe, I think God wants me to sell my car. And she went, No. 
she said, that's how you get back and forth to seminary. Um, how are you going to do that? I said, I don't know, but God's, God's going to show us a way we can do that. So not very willingly, she said, okay. So we did that. We sold this little car we had, gave all the money. Um, and I found a friend that I could grab a ride with that would get me to school. And I did that for a couple months. A couple months later, we had a little, at that time, it was a little, I think, a 88 or, or 84 Honda Civic that we sold and, and gave the money away. And about three months later, my telephone rings one day, and my dad called, and he said, Vance, he said, um, strangest thing. He said, I saved up about $5,000, and I saved it because I want to buy me an old pickup truck just to kind of knock around in. And he said, but this morning, I was having my quiet time, and we didn't tell anybody what we'd done, by the way. My dad says, God spoke to my heart this morning. He said, I'm supposed to take that $5,000 and buy you a car. Now, I couldn't wait to go get my wife. I said, babe, you, here, dad, you got to tell her. And he bought us a two-year newer Honda Accord. So we upgraded in the deal, right? Now, listen, the story's even cooler. That September, my dad was celebrating his 20th anniversary at the church that he was pastoring. Been there 20 years. And the church had no idea any of this stuff had transpired. And so I drove up and was a part of the service on his 20th anniversary. On his 20th anniversary, they brought him up on the platform said, Brother Bob, we love you. Thank God for what you've done here for 20 years. And they handed him the keys to a brand new Ford F-150 pickup truck. <laughs> now, listen, none of that, none of that, none of that's about the cars or the trucks or any of that. Okay, none of that's about that. Let me tell you what it's about. My wife shared this story in her small group because now, let me tell you where she is. When there's an opportunity to give, she can't wait because God has so deepened her faith through living like this. Listen, nothing will change you more. One of the reasons I love teaching on this subject is because I know the freedom and I want you to have it. Well, let me just close. I've given you some other things you can think about, but Paul closes by saying, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Everything we've said about generosity over the last two weekends is wrapped in the person of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, the word indescribable, it's literally a word that means I don't have a word to describe it. As a matter of fact, that word, Paul made it up. We don't find it used anywhere else in Greek language in the New Testament or outside of the Greek language. Paul just didn't have a word, so he made one up. And said, this gift of salvation, this gift of Jesus, I don't have words for it. So I'm going to make one up to tell you how awesome it is. It's indescribable. Have you ever experienced God's gift of salvation? We've been talking about generosity and giving. Have you ever experienced God's gift of salvation? 